When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 underway in Nashville. 6th and Peabody, our location each and every day. Yeehaw beer and old smoky moonshine. The crew is all here. And you know we're close to July. With all the headlines that are dropping right before the big weekend, USC, UCLA reportedly will join the Big Ten as early as 2024. Kevin Durant has requested a trade from Brooklyn, and the reports are he has the Phoenix Suns listed as the number one option Paul Suns. for where he wants to land. We will get into that. We have a plenty of discussion on a video that has dropped of an A&M staffer or assistant coach who was talking about pay for play and pointing up to the suites at Kyle Field, saying that if you come here, you will be paid by the suite holders of this program. <laughs> we will get into all of that and more. Plus, Jordan Schultz will join us. We'll talk NFL headlines. Coming up in 20 minutes, Mike Pereira of Fox Sports, NFL rules analysts, and, uh, of course, USFL uh, rules guru, all things rules for USFL. He joins us in 20 minutes. Gentlemen, a lot to get to. We lead off with USC and UCLA. And like clockwork, last year at this time, news was dropping about Texas and Oklahoma. And this year, USC, UCLA. Look, this is not an earthquake to the level of Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. So I want I want to start with that. This is not as big of a move as getting two of the top 4 winning as college football programs in the history of the entire sport. But it's pretty damn big. You just took the second largest television market in America. All of it. USC and UCLA and you got an all-time traditional football power and an all-time traditional basketball power to join your conference. To that, and we'll get into all the ramifications and what we really think about this, from a business perspective, to that, I tip my hat to you, Big Ten, for not sitting idly by, and when this happened with the SEC, acting. Now, I say acting, guys, but reports from Bruce Feldman and others say that it was USC and UCLA that reached out to the Big Ten and wanted to join. So... I guess I should tip my hat to USC and UCLA looking at the writing on the wall and saying, we're not going to join the SEC. We better join the Big Ten because those are the only two conferences that are safe right now. Look, I know geography is moot in all of this and has been for a long time. Boston College is not on the uh, the Atlantic coast. Uh, Missouri is not in the southeast. But this one is significant. I I mean, to to take – to Los Angeles teams from the Pacific and put them in Big Ten, to me, is still meaningful. It's still meaningful. And their presence in, in 
on the West Coast and in the Pac-12 is still meaningful. That conference is dead now. And the time zone here is a big deal geographically, where I mentioned BC and Missouri. Time zones aren't a thing there. Time zones are a giant thing here. Hutton is, is excited because he stays up late on Saturday nights and watches games that start at 10 o'clock, uh, at 9, 10 o'clock in our time zone, in the central time zone. The Big Ten can now start a new big noon kickoff and 10 p.m. I mean, it's an all-day thing. I don't, I don't know that that's a great – I mean, I know it's I great think for them. them it's a great thing, but I think for fans it stretches things a little bit much. This – my initial reaction to this is it hurts me, and I'm no Pac-10 guy, but it, it just breaks the foundation of what – further breaks the foundation of what college football has been. We're, we're headed to um, Two a separation between the powers and then the NCAA. That, that's – further validated in my opinion today and that Chad's right the shock and awe of last year is not there because the week after with all of the speculation there was speculation then that USC was talking with the Big Ten and we were having conversations about Ohio State USC Michigan and how you make things work with the splits and the the powers that would be joining together here um, there's a lot to break down with all this from a UCLA's involved in here too and I I, we can get to them. But from a USC standpoint, this is a massively perfect move. They have, Chad mentioned the market size. Now you have on the West Coast in Los Angeles, a landing spot where your conference, your, your football conference doesn't suck in recruiting. Meaning like you can now recruit guys to Los Angeles to go play at the big house or play at the shoe and, and everywhere around with some of the best teams and programs across the country. USC was already recruiting at a high level back in the 2000s. But now with Lincoln Riley and the firepower with everything that they have behind them and with them, they're moving to the Big Ten. It's not official, but reports are out. It was first reported by John Wilner um, at Wilner Hotline on Twitter um, who covers the Pac-12 that it, the move had not been finalized at the highest levels of power. However, over the last 30 minutes or so, the reports are out that the Big Ten presidents did meet yesterday, and while they did not have a formal vote, there was a straw poll taken, and the results are in with this news getting out. This, from a USC standpoint, is huge. They are going to crush it in recruiting. That That's thought number two that I had outside of, Chad, just the super conference that we're about to see where it's the SEC, it's the Big Ten, and then there is a big gap to the third-place conference in in my ranking, which would be the ACC. ACC. The Big 12 made moves that don't reach the level of Texas or Oklahoma's no. impact, but they made moves to to find a life raft and to try to stay afloat. What does the Pac-12 now do in response to this? And what happened to that alliance between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? Well, that's a great, that's a great point. That, that alliance it's gone now. It wasn't worth too much, that's for sure. 
Um, this was better than that so, for USC and UCLA, obviously. And, Paul, I, I agree with you on, you know, geographically doesn't make sense. you got three time zones now represented in the Big Ten. With you've got You're going from Rutgers. Eastern time. Uh, uh, which is 20 minutes from the Maryland, beach. Maryland, Rutgers, uh, Penn State, Atlantic I believe. Pacific. Penn State's Eastern time as well. Nebraska kind of right is in what? Nebraska's Central, but it's on the edge of mountain um, time. Um, there's no, that's what I was trying to do in my – there's no mountain time school in the Big Ten currently. How many but, mountain time schools are let's, up? Let's give it to BYU. Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. Colorado. It's about it. Arizona, I think, BYU. sometimes half the year. Um, BYU, yes. So you got three time zones represented. The only way to make it make sense from a geographic standpoint is for every conference that's left that matters at all to come to so, some sort of agreement and basically form the NFL of college football and have geographic divisions. you got your Northeast division, your Southeast your Mid-South or Mid-Atlantic, you got your Midwest, your Southwest, and you have every big school that plays at a high level in college football. It's probably 50 to 60 schools, left standing, that you would have in this major conference that's run by a central governing body, similar to the NFL, where the schedule's picked out for you. It's not going to happen, because right now... Maybe someday. We joked about the Pac-12, Big Ten alliance or partnership. You've got everyone going to their respective corners and scheming the next move for survival. Not just survival, for SEC and Big Ten, it's dominance. They're both thinking dominance. They want to beat the other one. Every other conference right now has to be thinking survival. ACC, huge blow to the ACC where they're left standing right now because there are other programs prime for the taking from the SEC. If they decide to counter again, Clemson to go one up, Florida State, Clemson, make a lot of sense for the SEC because they're looking at this from a football perspective. The I do only, think the, so the only way right now I think the Big 12 and Pac-12 truly survive as a major, major player is if they form an alliance and you have an Eastern division and a Western division and you form basically a 20-24 to 24 team super conference that is uh, an amalgamation of the remaining Pac-12 and Big 12. I do think there is too big. Like 16, we've talked a lot about the scheduling for the SEC, and it, it can be nice and tidy now. You go too much bigger, and you lose the tidiness. Eventually, you would lose the seeing everybody within two years, and then it really becomes the NFL. But also, I mean, let's look at this from and a that matchup rivalry standpoint. Element, the rivalry element is hurt. No, I, I, I hate – because I'm – I. College football, part of the reason we love it is tradition, and this breaks tradition. Yeah. But another big tradition in college football is the Rose Bowl. And think of the top Rose Bowl matchup you can imagine, Big Ten and Pac-12. It typically <laughs> involves big USC 10, versus 10. someone. <laughs> now you've got USC versus Penn State and USC versus Ohio State in September Regular and October. Season. Yeah. Yeah, going you, home and home. You get a rematch in the Rose Bowl? Chad, you, you can... If they're not in the national championship... I mean, but you can play your conference championship matchups. game now in Pasadena. Yeah. I mean, look, USC-Nebraska is going to be fun to watch. That would be amazing. Home and home. Uh, Wisconsin getting... Involved. I mean, UCLA is one that's kind of, eh, right now, you know, take it or leave it from a football standpoint. Yeah. Rose Bowl doesn't like this. But they play in the Rose Bowl, so that's nice. So yeah. a lot of people get to visit that storied venue. But those USC in-conference matchups now... Crazy. Will be a lot of fun. And this is so secondary right now, but I'll go ahead and bring it up. Great addition for basketball. I mean, we can now go through all the great basketball matchups you'd get with UCLA playing Tom Izzo and Michigan State. UCLA and Michigan on the court against each other. UCLA, Indiana. 
is a conference game now in basketball. Hell, I mean, it's a whole bunch fun. of them. Iowa. Yeah. So the reports were out in early May that uh, that Fox Sports was going to renew its portion or had just renewed its portion of the Big Ten contract moving forward. There's a portion of that, the big noon kickoff that we're referring to. Um, Kevin Warren, with this announcement, th- this was early May whenever he told CBS Sports that his goal was to announce the new television partnership for the Big Ten by Memorial Day. We still haven't seen that come to full totality. But the reports from CBSSports.com reference a billion dollars per season on a television contract. Now that you add in USC and UCLA, you can see how you can make that math work. And you have CBS, NBC, Turner, ESPN, and Fox are also mentioned on this. The bidding continues to go up for the mega TV and rights holder deal. And Kevin Warren in May, on May 3rd is quoted as saying, football plays a great deal in all of this. And now, going into the July 4th weekend, right before all the conference meetings take place and the, the media uh, events that take place next month, they have just added a massive market. And they own the market now, Let's, as Chad mentioned, to open. Uh, should we throw in uh, a streamer here? I mean, we've talked oh, I'm sure about Amazon what it would and Apple mean. And, sure. Guys, I've been, I've been saying this for a while now. I mean, you have the richest company in the world in Apple that just purchased. I mean, it's peanuts when you talk about MLS viewership, which yeah. they're going to get everything now with the MLS. And they can negotiate with the network go get to this. put it on a free network. Mm-hmm. Certain games. I mean, think of the possibilities if you were coming up for bid right now and you're the Big Ten, just looking at them specifically, and you can now go to Apple or Prime Video and this portion, with Amazon and start to bid out against the other networks and also form a partnership. You're going to get four games a weekend that's going to air on ABC or whatever, right, only, as, as part of this. And, and they, this kicks in in 2023, whatever they agree to long term. Their only failure – and, and I think it's a big one is this idea like they were going to get the New York market by getting Rutgers. Yeah. You know, something like that. I mean, Rutgers is of no help to the Big Ten. I, I would think that they would regret that. But getting USC and UCLA oh, yeah, is a that, far bigger step. Yeah, kills LA. But Rutgers does nothing for New York. Yeah, Nobody I mean, in New it, York It would be the equivalent if you had a Big East, uh, an old Big East program in Manhattan that was a national football power. Right. And there's no such thing. And the thing. Big Ten added them. Look, then you could realistically say, you're never going to get all of New York yep. or all of L.A. because no, it's such a different place in terms of people having different interests. Penn but State's, you could at least claim that. Penn then. State's bigger in the metro area as a football team than yeah. Rutgers. Oh, of course. Hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts at Outkick360. We will continue to break down uh, this discussion. Notre Dame. Uh, you know, how, yeah. how much more attractive is the Big Ten in in the culture that's set now for Notre Dame, Notre Dame still is financially really doing very well with their own independent deal, but there has to come a time where it's just going to make more sense for them to jump in for that security blanket of being in a conference that's going to negotiate television deals with all of this power behind them because well, they're so many, enormous. How many teams with these now packed conference schedules are going to want to play a Notre Dame quality game? Outside of that, well, how the many ACC outside of conference playing, games are we going to? They're playing see? five of them. But yeah. see, in the ACC is the place you have to go. They have to well, play Clemson. If the ACC suddenly doesn't want to do it, the Big Twelve will line up because they need the money. It's financially beneficial to play Notre Dame on your schedule for television. So 
There's gonna, I think there's going to be a lot more programs, honestly, in those in ACC, Big 12, Pac-12. But you're not going to see that will line up to play. Yeah, Notre Dame. but you're not, not going to see them play SEC or ACC's Big not going to dare not see that Pac- now. That often. ACC would not dare remove that from from Notre Dame. No, ACC's getting a cut of the NBC revenue and the contract that Notre Dame gets based on them playing these games on NBC. Yeah, but you're not going to see them against SEC or Pac-12 anymore. Well, and I would say this. For whatever reason, the SEC, we know why they don't with the Big Ten, Big Ten because they're rivalry. They don't really play that often right. head-to-head. Notre Dame played Georgia home-and-home home recently in the last three or four years. Yep. They played Tennessee multiple times with home-and-homes. I can't think SC of many annual, other. annual, right? I can't, I'm saying SEC yes. Notre Dame oh, yeah. game. I don't know many other times they don't meet outside of a playoff or a bowl game. I think Tennessee and Georgia are the two examples that immediately come to mind that will willingly schedule Notre Dame for home and homes. Something. We'll discuss the, the mega powers and the, the SEC and Big Ten and, and what we expect moving forward here because we're not done with all of this. And what, what's the next domino? Because last year, the dominoes fell with Texas, Oklahoma. We immediately, as a collective football public, started thinking about USC and where they may want to go. Who's next in all of this? We'll get to that coming up. Mike Pereira, head of officiating for the USFL, plus uh, NFL rules analyst for Fox Sports, about to join us when we come back. First, though, Outkick 360, excited to partner with Aurora Nutriscience. They keep us mentally sharp and healthy with their supplements on Outkick. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. Vitalifescience.com is the website. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com is where you can see more information. Our Outkick 360 season ticket holders. If you're listening, you are one. You receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360 at checkout. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, the glutathione, and much more. And you can as well. Visit VitaLifeScience.com, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. Plenty of headlines to discuss as we go into the July 4th weekend. OutKick360 rolls on. A part of the weekend, the USFL championship game from Canton, Ohio. Sunday, 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern kickoff between Birmingham and Philadelphia. The head of officiating for the USFL... NFL rules analyst for Fox Sports is Mike Pereira, and he joins us across the Outkick Network. Mike, great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. What do you uh, What do you make of the news with USC and UCLA and the the Big Ten from a from a LA perspective? I, you know, you know I, I never know what's going on in all of this. When I look at Conference <laughs> USA, wait a minute, is there anybody left in that conference? <laughs> I'm kind of one of these that say. Let's see how the whole thing plays out. But to my Pac-12 friends, my friends in officiating, I'm sure they're devastated by any potential news like this. Does it make L.A. a Big Ten town? Or does it really move the needle at all from a sports perspective for that conference in a city as big as L.A.? Well, to me, about the only connection that you have is the Rose Bowl. And I don't know if that's a big enough connection to put it in a in a Big Ten town, but I think a lot will depend really how USC does. I mean, if they get back into their, you know, their old form and become a national contender, 
Um, I mean, fans are fans. And I think L.A. has been starved for really good college football in the last decade or more. So, you know, I, I, I would imagine that if they win, that they'll turn on the fans. Even if they were in the Big East, maybe it, they would still uh, get the fans in. Mike, I know the chip in the ball and the first down line has been a great technological advance for the USFL. Um, but it's a, a lesser league try, uh, with the NFL looking at it. I don't know how they look at it. FIFA is about to use real high-tech stuff at the World Cup for offsides, uh, where they've got multiple cameras on a skeleton and, uh, and the ball when it's passed. I'm wondering if that's a success for the biggest sporting event in the world, do you think that might draw the attention of the NFL on ball placement technology in addition to the USFL success? You know, it's a hard question because I don't think you can really equate um, what happens in soccer or football with what happens in our American brand of football. Because in soccer, basically, you're just you have basically a clear shot all the time as to where's the position of the ball in the body, whereas the football, you have many times you have pile ups and the ball, you know, you may be able to see the ball. But where was the knee? Where was the elbow? I think it's a little bit more difficult. But that's being said, I mean, listen, what are we what are we hearing as we go? It seems like every day. What did uh, Major League Baseball say? They look at the possibility of the robo lumps in um you know, I think they said in 2024, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, everything is going down the way of technology. And even in the USFL, I mean, we have technology still that I haven't seen. I mean, I'm dying to see it. I mean, we have technology now, lasers that shoot up the outside edge of the uprights on field goal attempts that go over the top. And so if, in fact, we've got that really tight one and we're playing a game somewhere other than Legion Field where it happened and we didn't have that technology, but if we have the technology in the uh, championship game this weekend and the ball through these lasers and with the chip touches, you see it illuminate at all on this laser, then it means that the kick is no good. So we also have technology. At one point, we described um, and talked about before the season started to be able to see through bodies to the ball. So to have the ball illuminate looking through a body. So we would get a, a really clear shot. Um, it's the kind of things that we're all looking at. I mean, that everybody's looking at it. I'm not so sure I like it because I'm old and I'm a purist. And, and I, I think that technology I think technology has hurt officiating, quite frankly. Yes, you get a few more things right, but I think from the officiating standpoint, they've learned to use technology as a crutch. Um, they've learned to use the communication system that they have with the replay centers or even the league office, even then as a crutch. And so I, I think it's, I don't think it's been good for officiating. And, and that's the purest in me kind of wanting the game to be officiated by humans and not tentative, you know, tentative decisions being made based on what replay or what this communication can help them with. So, uh, listen, in, in football in 1999, when we brought back instant replay, we knew we were headed down the slippery slope. And even then, when we brought it back in 1999, it was all based on facts. It was based on grounds, lines, and planes. Now, 
you know, in the NFL, it's like, and even in college, you're making judgment calls in, in replay. And, and I, I just don't think it belongs there. I mean, it's ruined to me what is a catch and what is not a catch because you're getting replay to try to make this decision. Well, did the receiver have the ball long enough to make a football move? Did he? Well, we're looking at it at a total different speed than what the officials looked at it on the field. And so I, I just, I'm not a great proponent of this huge expansion, but um, you know, I, I'm, I don't see anything on the immediate horizon in the NFL, but I can't say what might not be coming at some point. Mike Pereira, our guest. Mike, the, the one thing that we've talked with you on our two previous visits during the USFL season uh, that we have really enjoyed is your presence on the broadcast and getting the not just the eye in the sky perspective, but actually seeing you talk through what you're seeing on the screen from master control and all that. I don't know if we ever see that from the NFL side of things. Uh, and I know not everything has to go back through the NFL channels, but do you think the way Fox approached all of this from an official standpoint actually created some waves in how we will view football moving forward? You know, I, I think so. Listen, it's not the first time it's been done this way to some degree. We, in the AAF, back when we had that, we eavesdropped into the um, replay official. Now there you had different replay officials in every game because everything was played at home sites. I mean, here with the USFL and we're playing all the games in Birmingham and we never had more than one game on at a time, it was easy develop, to develop this concept of a replay center. Um, I, I It has gotten some positive feedback. Um, I'm not so sure that it's me that's gotten the feedback or it's just the system itself. It's been interesting for me because it gives me the ability to change calls, not just the standard, um, you know, catch, no catch type things or the, the, the foot on the sidelines. I mean, it's allowing me now that if they make a personal foul call, like a roughing the passer call, if I don't think that the call is right, then I can actually reverse it. I can't call an unnecessary roughness call or an unsportsmanlike conduct, but if one is called on the field, I can change it. And the interesting thing is, and I think it happened really last week twice in the semis, um, a big roughing the passer call that was called um, against Philadelphia on a play that they ended up intercepting and ran all the way back to the five yard line. New Jersey was going to get the ball back first and goal. And I looked at the play and I just couldn't put it into a category of roughing the passers. It was one of those that if we all looked at it on Sunday, we'd all say, man, that's not a foul, but it would get penalized and we would go. And I talked to the referee and I said, what did you see? And he said, well, he slammed him to the ground. And I said, well, What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, 
off and running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. He slammed them to the ground. It was all one act. It wasn't late. Um, he didn't lift them and drive them into the ground and, and land on top of them with his entire body weight. So um, I am going to reverse it. Well, huge play in the eyes of New Jersey, who after that game really was not very happy with me, but um, it at least gives me the opportunity to correct it. But the other thing I started to say was interesting. Another one later in the game, a, a illegal use of the helmet hit call against Philadelphia for an unbelievable collision on a kickoff return. I mean, it was massive and the official threw the flag and, and I mean, both, players were stunned and on the ground we had plenty of time to look at it and I, I looked at it and said well if, if I'm looking for the helmet to helmet contact it just wasn't there I mean it was contact with the shoulder to the head and it wasn't a defenseless defenseless player and I said to the calling official Robin um, De Lorenzo, who's going into the NFL she's the one that called I said Robin what did you see and she said well he led with the helmet and I said but man, I know, I know it looks so bad, but you know, to me, the head's off to the side. And I kept trying to justify the fact that I was going to change it in her eyes. And finally, she just said to me, that's okay, Mike, change it. Don't feel bad, just change it. And, uh, and so I did. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's been good television. And personally, for me, it's been a lot of fun because I've been so involved in the game because also what you don't hear is these are all college officials that are working NFL rules. So I'm constantly stepping in to make sure that they wind the clock when they're supposed to, um, that the penalties are enforced as they're supposed to be enforced. So I'm really involved and I'm not sure how much I look forward going back to the NFL and NCAA games when I sit on my tail for hours and maybe get called on once a game if I'm lucky. Um, but it's been fun. Well, Mike, I think a big part of the entertainment value is you uh, on this, and it's specifically you and your communication ability, and I'll explain. I'm, I watched a lot of the Philly-New Jersey game uh, this past weekend, and there was a moment, I believe the kickoff of the second half, where there was uh, – a fumble on the kickoff, fumbled by New Jersey, recovered by Philly. The player for New Jersey is going nuts on the sideline. Mike Riley is challenging it, and they go to you on Fox, on Mike, and you're saying, you know, Mike Riley can challenge this all he wants, but we've already reviewed it. We review every change of possession when there's a turnover. So, I mean, he can feel free to go ahead and get mad and, and throw the review, but, we, you know, we've already – or the challenge, we've already looked at it. And I'm thinking to myself, Mike, see, we need more this of this level of snark uh, between officials <laughs> and coaches in sport. I, I really want more of this. Yeah, it was that was another funky play because 
you know, when it happened, obviously the ball came loose. Um, and, and then there was a recovery by Philadelphia and Joel Klatt was the first one in the first replay who said, well, I mean, they ruled that fumble. I mean, he's down. I mean, he's down, the body's down. Yep. And uh, so the replay, meaning me, will get involved in that and turn that into the runner being down. And of course, Anytime I can get a little jab at Joel, I kind of enjoy it. Um, and so I, I knew the fact that Joel was applying the college rule very well, which means that if you're down, you're down. But in the NFL rules and USFL rules, if you're not touched, then you are not down. There's You have to be down by contact. And so at that point, I knew it was a fumble and I knew I wouldn't overturn the call. And then you saw the player on the sideline throw his helmet down because he knew that he was down before the ball came out, but he didn't realize the rule. And I just wanted, I just, I, I really, I really wanted to say, but I really couldn't. I really kind of wanted to say to Mike Riley, Mike, I love you. Don't be stupid. You're costing yourself a timeout here. If you, go ahead and challenge it. And I think more politely, the official kind of persuaded him to realize that, um, that it had already been, that it had already been reviewed. I would say a nice characteristic for any official is decisiveness. And, and you have that when they go to you in the review booth, what percentage Mike of plays you're reviewing. Can you tell the first second you see it on first glance, this is my ruling on this. Don't run it back. Don't play it back. I've seen all that I need to see. Because it seems like in these games, it's a pretty high percentage that you know right away what you're seeing. Well, here's the thing. Um, my philosophy is different than the NFL. And my philosophy is different than the NCAA. Um, I'm not trying to find mistakes. And by that, here's what I mean. I, too much now, in my opinion, in NCAA and the NFL, they're stopping games and looking at things in slow motion, and they're just looking at all the minutiae to say, well, did the ball move? Did it move? Okay, it moved a little bit. Now, okay, look at, well, you saw the laces move a little bit, and you're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and looking at it and sometimes changing it on that, on, on, on that slow motion minutiae that I call it. Um, I, I remember in 1999, when replay came back in, Mike, Mike Patrick one time said, what's going on when we had a replay review? I mean, we'd been looking at something for two minutes. And he goes, replay ought to be that when you look at it the very first time and you see that it's wrong, then change it. But if you have to run it back and forth and back and forth in slow motion, then leave it. And that's the philosophy that I always felt was the correct philosophy. And that's that's the way I have approached it. I'm going to make my decisions quick based on the live shot and the one I have what was called this Hawkeye system. So I have 16 different angles in my replay center. Um, I can look at one angle and see enough that I know I'm not going to stop it if it's one. I think it might be one inch short on a line to game. I'm just not going to officiate the game that way in replay. And, um, you know, it's interesting because – I missed week 10. I missed week 10 because the COVID bug got me finally. And um, so I had to sit on my couch and watch it. And my fill-in um, for me stopped the game on a touchdown pass and reversed it to incomplete. And when I called him the next day, I said, you know, 
I wouldn't have been able to stop the play. I would, I would not have stopped it because again, it was one of those they looked at, well, look at the ball move. The ball turned a bit. Um, I just like to be quick. I like to be decisive and I like to move on. And I wish replay was more like that to tell you the truth. It's going on a dozen years since you've been with the NFL. Uh, Man, do you have to remind me of you that? Were, you were, uh, certainly there were officiating issues during your term there, but you were always a good forward-facing guy as you are now. That's not been the case since you left. Have they ever come back to you to try to re-recruit you? No. No, you know, um, uh, I left on my own terms. Um, I, I left, uh, I would say a couple things. I left them, I left on my own terms because I wanted to, um, uh, come home. Um, I was a West coaster. My dad was still alive. I wanted to spend time with him. I hit the age of 60 and I saw good friends in the NFL that worked so hard and they basically died on the job, um, not on the job, but they, they never got into retirement and I didn't want that to be me. It was a high it was a high pressure job and certainly is still that way today. So I came West and uh, when I was going to quit and come West and I think they thought that um, quite frankly, that I was going to go to NFL network and work with NFL network. Um, They had talked to me about that. um, But the the NFL network really didn't inspire me. And uh, the Fox thing, when Fox had approached me, even before the discussion of NFL network came, um, then, you know, there wasn't any question in my mind. So I think there was a little bit of, I don't want to call it anger, but disappointment that I didn't stay with the league, that I went to one of the network partners. And um, so they never, they never did reach out to me about coming back. Um, if they would have, I would have never have done it. I mean, honestly, I spent 12 years in the office and it is such a hard job that, um, I, I don't know if I would call it burnout. I love my job. I did, but I didn't feel like at the end, I was as sharp as I was in the middle of my time. I mean, Nobody could beat me on a rules question in my prime, but as I got toward my late 50s, somebody would call me and say, what's the rule on this? And instead of like I used to be, hey, it's page 32, rule four, section three, article one, exception number two, it got a little bit to the point where I go, well, I think it's rule four, section three, and then I have to go look. I just, I just felt like the um, when you're taking the beating from the coaches and the fans and and your own officials and your own administration, it's a it's a honestly a ten year shelf life. And God bless Art McNally; he deserves the being in the Hall of Fame because he did it for like 24 years or 27 years. Um, that that to me is like unbelievable to think that somebody could do that job that long. But no, I was done. Um, and uh, I, I, I went to Fox and from the very first day, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the way they treated me and, um, and to be with Fox now for heading into my 13th season, I guess is pretty incredible. Um, it's, it's right where I am going to be to end my career involved with Fox. Now, it might still be the USFL, depending on how much private equity money that I read about today that they're seeking. Um, but uh but my plan is to uh, stay with them for at least a couple more years. 
Yeah, the reports 150 to 200 million is, is what they're seeking uh, headed into year number two. Mike Pereira has been our guest, uh, head of officiating for the USFL Fox Sports Rules Analyst. Mike, here's to uh, you getting the opportunity to use all the technology you've always wanted to use this weekend in the championship game. Yeah, well, I will. Uh, here, here's I, I would actually, even though last weekend I was, as, as you said, Paul, I was so involved in that first game. Um, and then when we got to the second game, I never said boo the whole game. So <laughs> probably it's better the, the, the championship game if uh, Eric Shanks never hears my voice. Or, yeah, it's not uh, better TV. People watch it and never hear my voice. We'll be tuned in uh, either way, Mike. We, we appreciate you. Thank you for the time. Thanks. Got it. See ya. There's Mike Pereira. Uh, always a great visit with him. Won't be the last uh, that we would love to have him a part of the show. Coming up, more on USC-UCLA and the finances involved with how much USC and UCLA stand to make and earn just based on TV revenue alone by making the move in 2024 to the Big Ten. That's next on Outkick 360. The next round of conference realignment seems to be happening right now with USC and UCLA reportedly headed to the Big Ten as early as 2024. Pete Thamel is picking up on the conversation that we were already having. He's extending it uh, through reports. So the TV rights deal, that was expected to be announced by Kevin Warren around Memorial Day. It still has not. But this move... And it's coming through Pete Thamel discussing things with USC and UCLA on their side of things. They stand to make double in television revenue alone what they were making in the Pac-12 in year one. The current deal, as I looked it up during the break, each Pac-12 team on average gets around $20 million a year Jeez. in TV revenue. It's not a lot. They're expecting the Big Ten, whenever they announce this, for the revenue per season to be a billion plus that will be distributed uh, amongst all the teams and distributed long-term um, with however many teams they're going to bring in. Point being... That's more than $50 million if they're doing it, dividing it up yeah. that, per team. So that's even, I'm just that's reading Pete Thamel's tweet, yeah. and yeah. I'm also uh, referencing the quote from Kevin Warren from May 3rd. So well, I'm saying we it's like, going to more than double, more than double. by significant We amount. like the Pac-12 commissioner, who is an uh, innovator. Th this is a blow to him, obviously. What is his counter move? Well, this, is not, this is not on Klyovkov at all. No, no. This will go down. If, if the Pac-12 ends helpless. up uh, going the opposite direction here, Larry Scott will go down as the worst commissioner in the history of college football. Uh, like a yeah, disgrace he, he and a, a complete failure. Yeah, Klevikov is is he's done a good job and he's done a good job and a smart job aligning himself with Greg Sankey on a lot of issues. Uh, what can he do now? Partner with the Big Twelve. Well, I'm telling you, I, I don't know who else is out there. I mean, could, could you go grab Boise State? Sure. What what's that going to do nothing. for you long term? The only way, see the. Again, now I'm thinking geography, which obviously makes no sense to the today's. But the ACC is left on an island. I would be shocked if Clemson and Florida State or Virginia Tech or these schools are talking to the SEC currently. I'd be shocked if those conversations haven't already happened. The ACC is in a bad spot if those schools well, they leave could get to the because Big they're they're more isolated because Big Ten SEC is just going to siphon off whoever they want. They've already done so. They'll continue to do so in that part of the country. 
To me, you just go Big 12, Pac-12, West Coast, Southwest, Midwest, and they form an alliance, and it's a new it's a new super conference. It's the old Big 8 Southwest Conference Union that became the Big 12. Now it's Pac-12, Big 12 forming something. Well, here's, here's the counter to that. Maybe top two, top four of ACC wind up in SEC. Take the remainder of the ACC and put it with the Big 12. Yeah. Those schools might be even more well, attractive either, either than what's way, left one, of the Pac-12. Unless they all three align, one's going to be left in the cold. If we're talking or the an worst teams of every conference. In, in thinking in through cold. things, so Greg Sankey, a year ahead of all this, last year, Texas and Oklahoma, the firestorm that came out as we went into SEC media days and the vote that was going to take place, uh, where A&M, trying, they're trying to get enough votes not to make it happen. We know how the vote went. Everyone voted in favor of Texas and Oklahoma joining. But by doing this last year with USC and UCLA now making the move a year later, that has allowed, in many ways, the Big 12 to find a life raft before the Pac-12 has an opportunity to make a move. The Big 12 is adding BYU. They're adding Cincinnati. They're adding Houston. They're adding UCF. They have had the ability over the last 12 months directly recruit who the Pac-12 would likely be after right now. Who are they going to go get? Memphis? Like Who's next SM, on the... SMU, like, Memphis, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, again, like that's it has left... It, the Big 12 now, based on USC and UCLA making the move, they don't have to go partner necessarily with the Pac-12. If the Pac-12 wanted to, they could have done that a year ago when the ideas were circulating about how the Big 12 could stay afloat. And now the Pac-12's left scrambling with their alliance partner who has just accepted USC and UCLA into the mix in 2024. We'll continue this discussion with other headlines as well in a newsworthy day. Thursday edition rolls on. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Hang with us.